happened. So, woohoo! Yeah, Zoe's got a new podcast coming out, guys. So uh, if you most exciting part of my day is when I when these things drop. It's about <laughs> indigenous representation. <gasps> That's amazing. And it's my favorite kind of thing in that it's basically a condemnation of how my industry has been failing people systemically for years and years. You're so excited about that. <laughs> it's about time. <laughs> Rip okay. the bandaid off. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I'm glad. I have a good friend um, who actually, she, I grew up with her here, uh, Jordan Daniel. Oh, yeah. Uh, she's low-key. She's our next cover model. Yeah. Yes. That's so exciting. <laughs> We're super pumped. We have a big feature on her and the work that she's done around missing, murdered, and indigenous women. And she's our cover model. And it's such a good story. Um, yeah, she's amazing. She's doing so much good stuff. And she also just got signed with a shoe contract for Ultra, which is amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. For her. So. That's Yay. so awesome. Well, great. Uh, it looks like we've got, you know, good. Quite the crew good crew here today um yeah we really didn't get any training questions um in so we thought we'd talk about uh goal setting today um again these calls uh, at your your guys request are going to be available on youtube um for people to on the on the team to look back on and, and listen to um, so if we don't get training questions during the week, we're going to provide some things that we think are fun and important. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that's based on some feedback that we've gotten from you guys. So, um, we're excited to do that. I think, um, yes, the question, the chat box, if you have a question while we're talking, put it in there and we're going to get to it um you know throughout or where it makes sense um and we'll probably try not to chat for too long um <laughs> so you know the more questions that you guys have on what we talk about the better that way um we can cover some more specific things because we have to speak pretty broadly uh in order for this to apply to all of the different people on the team right so not everybody runs 100 miles some people you know, are really interested in 5Ks, but kind of the overall um, idea in a broader sense is going to be somewhat similar. Um, yeah. So, you know, if you don't hear something that matches your specific training, you can always ask a specific question in the chat. Um, yeah. And no judgment. There's no such thing as, you know, silly questions. All We've right. all been, you know, new at this at one time or another. Um, in fact, TJ and I, often feel that we're very new at this uh, um, in, in a lot of ways. You know, it's like one of those things that the more you know, the more you know you don't know that much. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, always feel free to interject. Um, there's a pug in Kristen's video oh. for some reason. Oh my God. Oh, sorry, I'm not on mute. I thought I was on mute. I'm so sorry. Um, it's just so cute. Uh, yeah. So if you guys have any questions, like always feel free to you know, speak up, pop in the chat box. Um, you know, we want to make sure that these are useful and informative to you and that you don't feel like you have to do a bunch of mental gymnastics to see how it fits into your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, the other thing is no question is really too, too small as well oh, yeah, when totally. it comes to training. Um, like we're here, like this is super valuable time, like for all of us to spend together. And so, you know, like make the make the most of it for yourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And something that you have, a question that you have about your training, often somebody else has that same question or multiple people do. Yeah. Um, and although some of this information is, can be available at, you know, on Google, just search it, keyword search, but <laughs> also it's nice to hear, um, you know, other people chiming in on this stuff. So if you guys have comments along the way. Yeah, yeah. If you guys have um, experience and expertise to share, like one of the other reasons we want this you know, to be a discussion, we don't just like record videos, you know, without you guys is because you have really valuable experience to share too. So. Yeah. Um, and we've heard from a number of people, um, you know, clinical psychologists and things like that, actually on some of these calls have been quite helpful um, in terms of how do you build and progress towards your goals? Um, the microcosm brain trust. Yeah. So there's been some actually some really good um, shared information that we've gotten from 
from some of this stuff along the way. Anyways, I guess we'll jump right into it. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about goals and goal setting, goal setting, and um, kind of all of the different facets of goals, right? So we have bigger goals and, and medium-sized goals and smaller goals that you, you know, try to accomplish on a daily basis. Um, we've also got, you know, uh, performance-oriented goals and process-oriented goals, which we've kind of mentioned on the call. Um, and we'll, I guess we'll try to explain sort of the difference between those and how the hierarchy of goals works. Um, because I think this is pretty important and it's good to have this perspective. It's something that I know both Zoe and I are working on in our careers and um, in our running too and other aspects of our life. So hopefully, um, you know, some ideas will kind of pop into your, to your minds based on all of this. Um, but yeah, did you want to start with the hierarchy of goals? Yeah, so something that we like, a way that we like to conceive around goals, and this is how a lot of other people, particularly people who do research in like career success fields, conceive of goals is in a hierarchy. So at the top of your like goal pyramid, you'll have um, like a more concrete kind of large scale goal. Um, I know like for me in my, you know, in my athletic life, probably that would be running 100 miles well. Um, and then, you know, like that can, I don't know what TJ's would be, but like, so you essentially want to break your pyramid down into three levels. So you have like your top goal, kind of like a concrete, like measurable thing, right? Um, and then you're going to have mid-level goals and then you're going to have um, process goals. So the process goals are kind of the foundation of that pyramid. And that's kind of what you do every single day to work towards that goal. So for me, the way that that plays out in my life is like, depending on the day, either go for a run or rest with the same purpose um, and using either component or like, you know, execute a workout, execute a tempo run, do a bike ride, like whatever I'm doing, do it with the intention of like, how does this fit into my larger goal of running 100 miles? And that way it kind of imbues every single day, like all these small actions, like, you know, stretching, doing my like really boring PT exercises, all the stuff that I like sometimes don't really love to do. It gives them a bit more meaning and purpose and helps me conceive of them in a way where I'm like, okay, all of these really small actions make up the foundation of my really large goal. Um, and I think it's also important that those be process oriented, right? Like stretch, eat well, focus on sleep, um, or like, you know, get eight hours of sleep per night, um, do my run five to six times a week, do my rest day with the same intensity that I do a run day, um, and making them like just really kind of small achievable goals that are less measurable in terms of like, oh, you know, I did my easy run at eight minute pace. Like to me, that's a lot less meaningful because that may or may not actually advance me towards my goal. And it could be a way for me to pass unnecessary judgment on my performance before that performance is really important. So I think you should, you know, conceive of the foundation of your goal pyramid in kind of like easy wins, like things that are help you engage in the process on a daily basis. And then that feeds into the second tier of your goal pyramid, those mid-level goals. So for instance, if your top level goal is to run um, maybe a sub four marathon or to run um, a 100 miler, think about the things like the concrete actions you can take that build on those process oriented goals and get you towards that top level goal. So you know, for instance, running a sub four marathon, maybe jumping into a few half marathons um, and making, you know, run a, uh, you know, a, a 140 half marathon, your mid-level goal, maybe making, um, you know, run a 50K or a 50 miler, a mid-level goal to get you to that 100 mile goal. Once again, the performance aspect isn't as important of those mid-level goals because they're more of a bridge. You can definitely still set performance goals for yourself, but I, you know, I think it's always important not to attach too much importance to, you know, too much data, too much specifics to those mid-level goals, because that can kind of like detract you, detract meaningfully from the way they help kind of matriculate you up to that top level goal. Um, I'm wondering what your, what your goal is and kind of like how, how this specific schema fits into what your season looks like. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting. Um, 
you can have your big goal can be really concrete, like 100 miles. Um, and then your, you know, your medium goals can be like, I need to run a half marathon. And then, you know, after that, what's another goal? Oh, marathon, then 50 K 50 miles. Okay. I'm, I'm progressing towards the hundred miler. Um, you know, I'm hitting those kind of the small goals along the way. Um, I actually, before I, I talk about like the big goal, I just wanted to mention, you know, something about the process oriented goals on the bottom. Um, you know, for me, and it's something that I've been reading a little bit about and, and seeing in my own kind of practice is that the process oriented goals at the bottom, they need to be deliberate. Mm -hmm. um, they can't be necessarily just, I went out and ran. Um, I think for some people that's good, but if you're working with a coach, for example, you're going to have a little bit more underlying intention to those little things that you do um, each day that kind of build you up towards your, your middle goals and then help you get towards your big goal. Um, so, if, you know, for me, it's like improving uh, how my stride feels is a very deliberate practice that I have where I I focus like on like your top end speed stride. Yeah, sure. I mean, and, and so like for a lot of us, like we do hills or we do strides during the week, right? And we do like an interval workout maybe once or twice. Those are part of deliberate practice where you're really focusing in on the intensity. Um, and I think also when you're running easy, there is deliberate practice to that too. Yeah. You know, really sinking into your breath, feeling you know, what it's like to run at a conversational effort and really owning that. Because if you want to run 100 miles, you better be really good at running easy. You better be really good at running easier than easier than easy. And it better be smooth and efficient. And a lot of people talk about, oh, it's very difficult to run smooth miles when I'm not running fast. Well, that may be true because your, your biomechanics tend to be better when you're running faster, right? That's why we do hill strides and fast strides because eventually that works its way down towards the easier effort as your economy gets better. Yeah, as your fitness, and this is one of those like, you know, kind of what hard to believe until you experience things about running, but the fitter you get, the easier it is to run slowly. Yeah, I mean, it's very, it's very true. I think for everybody and myself included, you know, running a 10 minute mile like five years ago for me just didn't feel as good as running strides. Um, and now I can run a 10 minute mile and it doesn't, you know, it feels just as smooth. And that's because of deliberate practice. So if you're running easy, you really, it, it's good to sink into that. I think and, I really, and I want to just I, mention, oh, yeah. hold on. Also, you know, your focus during easy runs should be on smooth and efficient strides, minimal ground contact, you know, keeping it light and very like, you know, smooth kind of like, you know, I'm doing this with my hand because that's kind of what I visualize my, my feet doing and my legs and how I move. Um, but if you visualize that and then try to put it into action very deliberately every time you go out, you're not just getting the benefits of running easy for your aerobic system. You're also working on your economy too. Go ahead, Zoe. Yeah, I guess like what deliberate practice means to me, this is something we've been talking about. So TJ, once again, is a guitar player. He does a lot of deliberate practice. And I've always been curious, like what we can learn from how he practices his guitar and how that applies to an athletic life, right? And I think to me, what that means is like TJ said, really living out the intention of what you're going into the run with. And I think that that can sometimes be harder to do for some athletes on easy runs, because, mm -hmm. you know, if you're not working up a sweat, if you don't feel exhausted, sometimes it feels like, well, what's the point? And I think it takes a lot of discipline to be super deliberate in your easy running. Um, and I think that that is just like one of the most important things is reminding yourself that like my easy running has a point, right? Like if I want to run, you know, even if you wanted to like, sprint you know run the 400 like easy running is still going to be the the majority of your training um like a 400 meter um yeah and i think that it's so so important to like find that intention in every day and that doesn't mean you have to take everything like crazy seriously but what that does mean is like you don't let yourself go out and be like oh i was stressed so i ran super hard or like oh i was pressed for time so i ran super hard like whenever we feel those outside pressures we need to still be deliberate and we need to do what we need to do to match 
the effort level that's prescribed for the day because the effort level is the end all be all in training, right? Absolutely. And it's, th- it's not the pace, it's, it's the effort level. Yes, and that definitely, I think that ties in really, really well to, to what, you know, how deliberate you should be with this stuff. And that's why, you know, I try to encourage my athletes who are on stressful days at work, reiterate that they ran easier, easier. Um, you're doing yourself a favor there by being, um, you know, very deliberate and, and having a lot of intention in that. So I, I guess for bigger goals, uh, you know, for me, like my bigger, I think for me, uh, a big goal is not necessarily 100 miles. So my bigger goal is much broader. My bigger goal is just to get better, to be an expert at running and not just as a coach, but as, as a runner in general, like to really be well-rounded. Um, and, and perhaps a medium goal would be an upper medium goal would be eventually to win a 100 mile race or something like that. Um, so this is like, we're not talking like one year scope with you right now. We're talking like, this is the 10 year plan. This is the life plan. This is the life plan. (laughs) So I'm like unable to run. That's, you know, I, I really think, and I try to talk with my athletes about this is, thinking about things in, in multiple years. If you're only willing to invest one year in yourself and you're running, you're li- really limiting your potential. So think really big. Where will I be in five years? Where do I wanna be in 10 years? I know that's, it's hard to think about that. Oh, I'm gonna run for 10 years? Well, sure, if you love it, if something like passion or love for what you do underlies kind of the process oriented goals at the bottom and your deliberate practice, of course, you're going to run for 10 years. Um, there's a lot of like emotional engagement and attachment there. So for me, my goals are much broader. And I, I, I know Zoe shares those goals and many athletes do too. Um, but that's my daily driver. Um, that's what gets me out the door is simply, is simply the fact that if I go and run and I run deliberately, um, I will improve no matter what that run feels like and it, I will improve. Um, and that's the beautiful thing about running. Um, it's, a, it's compared to a lot of other skills, it can be quite easy to improve because we already all know how to run. No one ever had to teach you to run. We're just teaching you to run with intention. We're teaching you how to be more deliberate so you can improve, you know, at a, at a faster rate. Um, and so, you know, the way that I look at all of these things is, is kind of the way that Zoe was describing where everything is a progression. Um, and my, my race and season, and we can kind of segue, I think, Zoe, what do you think? We'll segue into, um, seasonal goals, seasonal goals and process. Yeah. Yeah. So the way that really quickly teach. Yeah. Yeah. I think I totally agree with all, all of these things that you guys are saying. I also think that, um, there's something pretty big to be said about consistency too. And having that be like the underlying base of, you know, your pyramid is just like staying consistent and being intentional about being consistent. Um, and you know, just having that goal set to like, okay, I'm going to run all of my, you know, five to six runs this week intentionally. And then, you know, you get through one week and you're like, okay, awesome. I did that. Now we're going to go into week two and now we're going to go to week three while you're building this solid foundation to like reach the top of the pyramid. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Over the course of once again, years. Yeah. Well, or a lifetime. You yeah, know? A lifetime. And I, I really like that okay. because there's a lot to be said about, you know, deliberate practice over time. Like the consistency that Kristen mentions that definitely shouldn't be overlooked. Um, if you say put in 10 hours of training a week, over 10 years, think about how many hours of training that is. Think about how smooth your stride will be. Think about how good you'd be, you know, 10 hours a week over three years. I mean, honestly, you'd make incredible uh, progress, you know, so, and you, and most likely your goals would be changing a lot in those three years because you'd be getting better. You'd be improving. So doors would be opening to you opportunities that didn't exist before. Um, and that's kind of the nice thing about this and where sometimes I look at, at least for myself, um, you know, running is a journey with no end, essentially. You know, if I can, if I can still run 
Um, and we've seen this with a lot of athletes. An athlete that I coach who is 48 years old just ran a sub 24 hour 100 miler and he ran the second half of the 100 faster than his for the first half. So amazing. And you can improve for years and years and years. Perhaps your top end speed isn't exactly the same as it was when you're in your, you know, mid thirties or in your early twenties, but the endurance doesn't go away. So when you're consistent, like Kristen mentions, and when you have deliberate practice and you get out there, you know, you tend to uh, continue to progress. And I think that that's a really, really cool thing. Um, yeah, thank you, Kristen, for mentioning that because none of this works without the consistency and without, you know, getting out there day in, day out. Um, and it goes kind of back to what we talked about a little bit earlier in the week where even if you're not feeling it, sometimes you still have to grind. You have to manufacture the feelings or run for the feeling of satisfaction that you get afterwards um, because sometimes you just need to be a little bit beholden to the fact that you have those bigger goals and getting out every day is one small step towards that bigger goal. Um, yeah. And I think this stuff really uh, kind of ties in well to the idea of like, how do we plan our season goals? Mm -hmm. Like how do we plan our three year goals? Um, and what are the steps in between? And what are the even smaller process oriented goals that go into each one of those goals? Um, you know, there's, there's definitely a lot to think about. Um, so for, for me, for example, I try to, when I set my goals, um, I try to look at things that I find interesting and appealing to me, whether, whether I know that they are because I've done them before or whether or not it's a new interest. Um, if it's a new interest of mine, say, for example, um, last year running 50 miles was a new interest of mine. Um, I, you know, I decided to, to go for that, but I, I also did so with an openness to the fact that I had not done a 50 miler in, in like four years. So that was, um, you know, I consider that an unfamiliar goal. And then also, you know, there are familiar goals. Like if you like to run steep, you know, you'd choose a mountainous race. Um, so when I look at, at, at my race schedule and try to d decide what I want to do for a season, um, I first think about the things that interest me. Okay, I like being in the mountains. I should pick a mountainous race. I'm interested in a fast 50 miler. Okay, where do I find that? And then where would that be appropriate in my schedule? Because you can't run, you know, this is something that we see quite a lot um, and really try to steer people away from is having too many races too close together that don't match up. Um, try to have people, um, and we've written about this on the blog, but Mary Kondo, their race schedule, right? Like really think deeply about each race and like think about like, does this spark joy? Like what is my mm -hmm. intention here? Um, because a lot of times we'll see people that are like, oh, my friend is running this race, so I want to run it. And it's like, well... You know, if it's like, I mean, you know, I, I think that's tough because there are times when racing is less productive for your training because it takes time away to recover or it's not the correct distance or intensity for your goals. And maybe there's a way you can go support your friend that's not just racing. Um, and it's kind of similar with pacing, right? Like pacing takes a lot of work. Like when TJ and I, we do our race schedules together because, you know, frequently if like I, either one of us needs crew support or pacing, um, like that asks a lot of the other person and puts demands on their training schedule. So it's always good to make sure like, okay, I'm not going to make TJ pace me or crew me for something, you know, like the week before his big event or something. Um, or if you do, or I have, uh, you have to consider the fact that you need to take yes. a weekend off of your own training. Yeah. Um, um and I think, yeah, that's like really important. And I always want to empower my athletes, like be a good friend when you can, but also know that it's okay to set boundaries and it's okay to say no to things if you're not passionate about them and they don't serve you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, all of us, I would only ever want people to pace me who are 100% there, you know, and that's, you know, that's what we owe each other. So it's always okay to tell a friend like, hey, you know, I, I love you. I want to support you in whatever way I can this isn't really, this doesn't really work for me. And um, I think that that's, I totally encourage my athletes to 
set those boundaries and have clear communication with their friends and making sure that like your schedule doesn't inadvertently become your like running partner schedule. And that's, you know, another thing that like TJ and I, even though we do, you know, work on our schedules together, there is like, how do we make sure that we are both like not, you know, compromising our time and abilities and that we're, you know, supporting each other in the best way possible without sacrificing the things that really, really matter to us. And it's, 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 you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a dialogue and it's super important. And, you know, it's, it's always okay. You don't have to do everything your friends want you to do, so especially what, racing. What I'm hearing is pick goals that really mean something to you. Don't, don't fall prey to the ideas of other people or other people's interests. Take your time to research those things. See if there's resonance. Um, if there's an underlying kind of emotional pull that comes from that goal, if that's something that you really want to do, um, you know, that's, that's how you, that's how you line it up. I think we, we've talked a lot this season about, you know, how do we find out what races are suitable to us or how do we find out, um, you know, what like goals are appropriate. And a lot of that we feel comes from your adventure runs on the weekends. If you, if you don't know, if you like a steep mountain race, I would suggest uh, going out and running in the mountains on the weekend and seeing if you like that before committing to that, you know, 50K with 10,000 feet of climbing. Um, you know, try those things first. Be willing to say, I like it or I don't. And make sure that that comes from you, not from what you think other people expect of you or what other, you know, people in the trail running community or running community are doing know that your coach's expectations are only that you seek goals that fulfill you. Right. Exactly. We don't want, like, we don't care what distance, what terrain, like, honestly, you could just go out and crush your local Turkey trot. And that would make us so happy because it matters to you. Like that is, you know, whatever goal is fulfilling in your personal life. That's what we want you to chase unconditionally. Mm -hmm. And, and I, and I, on top of that, I would say also when you do decide these are my likes these are my dislikes. I'm looking into races or, you know, adventure opportunities. Um, what smaller goals in your season set you up for success at that? Because we don't want to go into our A race or our, that like big, okay, so say I wanted to do 100 miles. That was my big thing. Um, or 50 miles. What sets me up for success there? Well, probably doing a race that is half the distance or something around that maybe eight weeks to 12 weeks before maybe that's going to set me up well for success there because races have a ton of energy it's a good supporting opportunity to get out and do a longer focused effort there's a lot of big advantages to that so we want to step from one to the other that way we're not leaping towards the big goal we're making a calculated move towards the big goal because you're if you do it that way your likelihood of success is going to be a lot higher um and that kind of takes us down to these you know smaller process oriented goals and also just to reiterate if your big goal is to run a really far distance uh 50 100 100k whatever know that you that can be your 10-year goal um at least for me uh, that is my 10 year goal is to run a hundred miles. Um, so I am in no rush to get there. I'm going to stack as many medium sized goals from now until I can't get any faster. And <laughs> then I will go for the hundred. And by then I'm going to be a way different athlete, human coach, whatever, uh, than I am today. And that's how I respect those goals that's that's a personal process that i go through each one of you guys will have your own process but when you do get to that goal whether it's the stepping stone like doing a 50 miler before 100 or for me i like to do shorter races so like a marathon before a 50k 
Um, you know, we do need to think about process-oriented goals um, for each one of those events too. Zoe is like a specialist in this, so I'm going to turn. Yeah, it over actually, to her. I do have one question though, because I know something athletes that I work with a lot have a lot of curiosity around how to set specific goals for races, mm -hmm. and I typically try to steer people away from that. And I'd love to know your thoughts on how you go about that in your own training, and how you go about that in your coaching. <sighs> That's tough because I do try to steer. I'm looking to see who's on this call. <laughs> uh, I do try to steer people away unless you're, unless you've got a few years of racing experience. I, I try not to set time expectations on people. Um, I don't want to set those goals for people. I think that those goals need to be set by the athlete. Um, yeah, that's because, something you know, we get asked a lot is athletes that are like, what should my time goal for this be? And that's something that we are both personally unwilling to do for athletes because that's just not the best way for them to get where they need to go like that. Right. If you're, if you're really bringing your a game to a race, you should be so you should have the confidence and the wherewithal to set your own specific goals. I think so too. And, but I want to say that that could be tough for athletes who are maybe chasing cutoffs or who are, um, maybe in the mid pack or a little bit farther back. Um, because then, you know, the time it does really matter. Um, so it really depends on the athlete. I, I don't like to put arbitrary numbers on people. I prefer them to come to me with the numbers and then I can offer them my view based on their training. And a good way to look at this stuff is like, how are you doing in your long runs? How you know closely related are the long runs to the effort and intensity you're going to be racing at? Um, if you're doing like 50 miles or 50k or marathon, and you've done you know a lot of tempo work and harder efforts in your in your long runs, um, we're going to get a pretty good idea of what you're capable of at the race. Um, but again, there are a lot of variables that go into these things. So if you're super beholden to a time, if you end up not doing as well as you want, it's very easy for the wheels to completely come off. So we want to avoid that. And that's um, where process goals. Yeah. Come. And I think also, I just want to say, at least for myself, and maybe this will give you guys a good example. When I first started doing ultras, my goal was just to finish. Um, and it was wherever place I came in or whatever time was just, uh, you know, what it was. Like if it was objectively good, maybe that was a nice bonus. Um, and I think although my competitiveness obviously is, is much different now, uh, my number one goal is to still finish because there are a lot of variables that go into these things. Um, you can train for a year uh, one of my dear friends trained for a year, best training of his life to go try Just to like go top 10, athlete. try to go top 10 at Leadville 100, uh, eight miles in, he sprained his ankle and was out of the race. Um, you just don't know what can happen. Like the sun wasn't even up on the race. Yeah. Yet. I mean, it was tragic, but these things happen, you know, sometimes you can't even make it to the start line. Um, and so like if we're beholden on winning or, you know, a specific time, whatever it is, uh, it can be very tough sometimes when there's a setback to move forward. And the idea with all of this stuff and how do you get back to deliberate practice, how do you get back to working towards your goals is not spending a lot of time dwelling on the small setbacks. It's just getting back up and putting a foot in front of yourself and moving forward it, there's no, you know, delicate way to paint it. If you spend a lot of time dwelling on those things, you inhibit, you know, your forward progress. So, you know, what I like to do, um, and this will play in really well with Zoe's process-oriented goals, um, is I like to reverse my goals. My number one goal, instead of winning, is just finishing. And then it goes down from there. You know, maybe the second goal my B goal for a race is to be top 10. Um, and often there's not a time associated with that because you don't know what other people are going to be doing around you. You only need to be 
competitive to, to and with those specific people if you want to get a, a placement in the top 10. Um, the time is kind of secondary, you know, maybe the third or the fourth goal down the line, you know, C or D is, is winning or podium and somewhere in there might be a time. And I've only recently started to put time goals on myself. And that's because I have a lot of experience and I can now, I now know basically, you know, how long it takes me at a certain, you know, effort level to go a certain distance with a certain vertical gain and relief and all of that kind of stuff. I think it, that's experience. And when you think about things in terms of my number one goal is to finish, that's never, you know, that's never a given, no matter how hard yeah. you train, you could sprain your ankle at mile eight of your biggest race of your life. And it's just, that's just, it happens. Um, so, you know, in order for me to stay in line with my goals and to not be, uh, kind of distracted when there are challenges, like there always are in these races, my number one goal is always just to finish. That keeps me in a better mindset when I'm sort of working towards, um, the other goals that I may have for a race. Um, and there are a lot of small goals that break all of this stuff down into so i know zoe wants to talk about the process oriented goals yeah and i know this is something we've talked about on the calls before and i've actually had a lot of athletes pick up on this um and i don't know i know sarah on her most recent race employed some of these to um excellent effect um but you know thinking about like if your goal is to finish and i always like to word it as to finish not just to finish because i feel like that diminishes how hard finishing a race is, yeah, right? Really like hard. once again, you have to do all this work to even get there. And it, you have, it takes so much courage and vulnerability that it's never about like, just, fin you know, when would you ever say like, I just ran a hundred miles, like, <laughs> you know, or I just ran a marathon, yeah. like anything that you guys do on like literally any weekend is something that blows the minds of 90% of all humans. So, you know, own that and like be serious about it in the way that you talk about it. Cause it's really, really cool. Um, and thinking about like going into, you know, maybe races or long runs thinking like if your goal is to finish, what are the little processes that you can undertake that help you get there? And for me, like, <laughs> because I love food so much, mine are typically around like, how do I eat in a way that's going to facilitate the performance that I'm envisioning? So, you know, eat every 20 to 30 minutes. That's a great process goal. Um, you know, start start slow and gradually get faster it can be a process goal another goal i've had previously is like if i get past use that as a cue to re-engage with competition rather than get discouraged so like finding things that might kind of take me out of my competitive mindset and using those instead as cues to to kind of like restoke the fire a little bit like whether it's like you know if i feel like if i have a thought where i'm like i'm going slower than i want to be going instead of using that as a moment to get down on myself use that as a moment to be like all right how do i use this thought this feeling not to take me out of the moment but to propel me forward um you know and i think like going, you know, looking back, the most recent race I did, my process oriented goals were eat every 20 to 30 minutes, smile and encourage everyone I passed or that passed me, um, move through aid stations effectively and thank all volunteers. Um, yeah, I mean, that was, that was kind of, I didn't have like a ton goals. of goals for that one. But uh, that's, you know, that's but it gets essentially you there. a race, right? Like yeah. that really breaks it down. I think sometimes another good process oriented goal and one that I use um, when I get tired in races is like, just run to that tree, run to that next tree. I'll set like small running related goals in order to keep me moving forward. Um, and, and one thing, you know, a friend of mine always talks about is like, when you're tired at the end of a race, you know, everybody else is tired too. Um, and sometimes you're going faster than you think um, and that forward progress is forward progress. So reinforce it with yourself. Um, and although, you know, I think some of this plays the same on your, on your weekend long runs too. Um, and it can depend on, you know, for everybody, it doesn't really matter the distance, but if you're pushing your distance a little bit, um, on your weekly long runs, sometimes those, those final miles can be like really tiring. Um, and so it's a good time to kind of practice some of those process oriented goals. 
Yeah, I feel like another one is also, and this is one I've used previously in races, is if I get to a point where I feel like I want to walk, but like not power hike, I use that as a moment to just readjust my effort level. Instead of going full walk, how do I run slower so that I can keep moving forward at a better pace without like kind of, you know, going like walk and then try to like giddy up and run and then walk and then giddy up and run and settling into a, into a better effort for what I'm feeling. Yeah. Is one that I've done a lot too. Oh yeah. I love the walk run in latter <laughs> stages of my races. Yeah. And hiking, hiking with purpose um, is, is another one, mm -hmm. I think. Um, yeah. That's really Use important. power hiking as an opportunity, not a break. Yeah. And it can be a really good um, process oriented goal. It's like, I'm going to run this flat and next in next hill, I'm going to power hike. Mm -hmm. I'm going to run this down and then next hill I'm going to power hike. Um, I think that power hiking sometimes is, is looked at from uh, maybe a negative standpoint. Like you're not a good athlete because you're power hiking. I love but power like hiking. everybody power hikes. The faster and fitter I get them, I swear, the more I power hike. The more I races. love power hiking. Yeah. I like only power. Can hike. you guys, <laughs> can you talk a little bit about that whole walk run thing when it's not a mountain race and the, the walking breaks, like a, not a walking break, but like where you would walk because your power hiking isn't naturally part of the terrain. So it's like a flat, so like I'm doing this backyard ultra and, and it's going to be flat and I really don't know how to pace that. Mm. Um, so can yeah, can you talk about that when it's not a mountain run? Yeah, uh, I would say, you know, so for the specific race you're doing, since it's a loop race, and it, am I correct that it's, it's a backyard ultra style, right? So like you have to do a, a loop every, every hour. That one I would go for, I mean, if you look at like how Maggie Guterol won bigs and like how Courtney has like done well in those races, they're rocking like 11 minute miles. So, you know, it's like a strong shuffle. It's like a beautiful shuffle. Um, it's the, it's a repeatable pace, right? Like, and their goals, and this is, you know, it can be, I would actually say that this is a case in which it's really great to try to emulate what the professionals do. Not always recommended. This is a different format. Um, because you want to kind of straddle that line between like, you want to, you know, if you're, if you're doing 12 minute miles, you're not going to quite make the four, you know, the four miles and still have some time to rest at the end of your loop. You do want a little bit so you can like change shoes, get a snack, whatever. Um, if you, once again, look at how like Maggie did at Biggs last year, she, I think was doing most of her loops, pretty even splits, right? Like she was coming in at 44 to 49 minutes almost every time. Um, and like, that was her goal, right? Wasn't to do like, cause there's no reward. Like if you do, if you run a five minute mile during this race, you have done it wrong. There is no reward for going fast. Yeah. Um, so don't go fast. Um, you know, so I, I would, I would say, I mean, you could, you could walk at point. I'm trying to think of how you would want to, I would avoid using walking until the later stages yeah. of the race where until it feels like running is truly no longer sustainable. And even then, use it sparingly um you know at a certain point the wheels like after you've been running for like 24 hours the wheels are gonna not fall off because you're you're gonna be highly tired. trained but you're gonna be tired um and so you know having a way to allow yourself to kind of bring that effort level down by walking can be useful i always try to you know with and in longer races like yeah that's gonna happen like you're gonna walk on flats but i think you know the more you train, the more that can be avoided. And it kind of depends on the race. I don't know if that was helpful. Yeah. I think you reserve the walking for later when you're tired, um, whether you're tired from lack of sleep or tired from, you know, running so many miles, you will probably eventually be walking. So I would set the tone early on to conserve energy um, and what I like athletes to do is kind of, and this is something that we do for hundred miles generally is to think about like a forever effort, um, where a it's slow just, run yeah, it's for just longer is always better basically. than a walk run. Yeah. Like that's way more efficient and it's faster. If you're like, if you're running 50 miles and you're trying to like, you know, run for five minutes and then walk one minute, like that's, 
wildly inefficient, don't do that. Just run slower. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I think, you know, when time comes, you'll know when it, you're going to have to like be power shuffling. Um, but if you put the word power in front of things, they're better. It's more positive. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but you'll do great, Sarah. I think that, you know, just set an expectation to run smooth and very easy at first. Um, because you, you don't want to overexert yourself. Early don't on. get excited. Yeah. And make sure, you know, maybe for that specific race, um, I still, I wouldn't put a pace number on it. I would use it more as a, as an effort feel, probably somewhere around what your recovery efforts are like. Mm -hmm. If you're doing recovery runs, that's probably around where I would start effort wise, but I would use a more positive terminology for that. I'd call it forever effort. Um, because it's an effort that you can sustain for hours and hours and hours. Um, rather than one that you're trying to use to facilitate active recovery. Yeah, and I think once again, for this format specifically, it rewards consistency. What hasn't been efficient in the past, either with athletes I've coached or as someone who is just like a fan of spectating these races, like don't go out and try to run, you know, one lap in 30 minutes and then think, great, I'm going to rest for 30 minutes because you're, the, the demands that running fast puts on your body can't be matched by that extra recovery at that point. Like you're going to be, you're not going to ever be able to mm -hmm. recover. So don't just don't, don't dig that hole in the first place. And another, recommenda another recommendation is maybe don't, you know, maybe finish with a few minutes to rest 10 minutes or something. Cause if you do too much rest, it's going to be harder to get back up when you're tired. Um, so things that I recommend to hundred milers later in races, don't sit, don't sit for too long. Um, you know, yeah, have, avoid your sitting. have your support crew there and make sure that they can kind of help you while you're standing up. Um, because the dreaded sit after, you know, 18, 20 hours of running is it's almost just, it can be game over. I've seen it be game over for people. Um, so don't sit unless you really have to fight that urge, you know, process oriented goal is to not sit when you get back to your house. Um, unless you need to take your shoes off and switch gear. Mm. Um, he makes a good, a good, uh, yeah. note that staying warm is tough. So, you know, having that stuff available and Blankets. you know, staying, staying warm Puffies. is a process oriented goal and having those things available. So they're right there. So you can put them on, um, rather than needing to like waste 10 minutes trying to find those things, um, be very organized and deliberate in your like aid station setup. Uh, make sure everything's available. Um, so it becomes, you know, it's like second nature. You just, you're in and then you get what you need. You kind of shake it out, you rest for a few and you go back out. Um, I would also recommend like if you do sit, don't hunch forward at all. Keep your shoulders back, keep your chest open. Because uh, once you start to get really fatigued, you're going to naturally want to like sink forward. And it's going to make it very difficult for you to breathe later in the race when you're tired. And that's already going to be tough. Um, so, another process oriented goal, one that I often use in races, is like shoulders back and down, shoulders back and down. You know, I'm always thinking about that um, as one of my process oriented goals. Yeah, I think it, it'll be really fun. To, and I know you're going to do great. You have so much grit. We're so excited. <laughs> yeah. Sarah was born for this format. Um, all right. Well, we're kind of getting towards the last couple minutes here. If anybody has a last minute question, feel free to put it in the box. I'll try to address it. If not, just to kind of conclude and recap, we talked a little bit about the hierarchy of goals. So we kind of have these bigger goals that can be uh, to run a long race that we've never done before or to win a long race. They can be broader like, um, like mine, which is just to improve uh, over time and to see how good you can get. Um, but often, you know, and always those goals are achievable only by the goals that come in the middle of that and then the process oriented kind of very small daily goals that go on the bottom. And those are really backed up by a lot of deliberate practice um, you know, making sure your strides are smooth and efficient, you're minimizing your ground contact time, uh, making sure that you do your strength work and your PT exercises and your foam rolling because, you know, you're 
kind of home therapy routine is super important for keeping your body healthy. Sleep. Um, making it's sure is goal. number one. I mean, number one above and beyond anything else is making sure your sleep hygiene is good. That means a minimum of seven hours of sleep um, a night and try not to get stressed if you don't hit that goal, but you, you want to have that goal. And very realistically, uh, that goal is in incredibly important. Um, Eric's come on with uh, something here, so I'll stop and read it. <laughs> um, ah, cool. Hmm. I don't know, Eric, because I don't really know the specific Is that the route, one off? Really. Um, it's Beard Evans? Stat. So like, Beard yeah, Stat Evans? Yeah, so I'm like, there's going to be a lot of people. So I'm like, part of me is like, start at three in the morning, but then like, going to hit the sawtooth. And it's I would say dark. do it in a way, because there's just going to be people. And if you're dead set on doing this on a weekend, that's unavoidable. And I would also not recommend doing the sawtooth in the dark. Um, Especially if you're trying to go fast. I would say estimate how long you think it's going to take you to get to the ridge and then try to time yeah, it so have, like, you're on the ridge at light. All, like it already broken down. So like I kind of have an idea of it. So like I was thinking like, you know, 4.30 or 5 and then um, be at the top of Beardstad around 6.30 right at sunrise. Um, yeah. And then just like, you know, be courteous to people. Let them know you're going for an effort. Most likely they'll understand, um, you know, when I did capital that was kind of a thing trying to like particularly on the ridge there which is challenging let people that we were like scrambling around know like hey we're coming through yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. like please don't try to hop on the knife edge in front of us um yeah don't be just, afraid like, to speak up yeah yep with kindness cool. yeah yeah, earlier is better. I think the sun is up by around seven. So if you're if you're up up there for sunrise, that's what I would be doing. I try to be up yeah. in the technical terrain by sunrise so I could have maximum visibility for the the tougher parts of the run. Yeah, yeah, that's what I think. So cool, man. Kind of my plan. That's amazing. Good yeah, luck, dude. Good luck. Thanks. Such a cool route. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, we really appreciate everybody who tuned in today. And um, yeah, I hope everyone has a great weekend. There are only a few, I feel like, at least in Colorado, a couple weekends left for camping and adventuring and things like that, unfortunately. And then we're going to be falling into the winter uh, running routine before we know it. So get out there and enjoy, uh, you know, and take advantage of whatever opportunities you guys have. We will be back on Monday. Yay. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Why Kristen's pug? Oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't know she had a pug. <laughs> it's a new pug. <laughs> cool. Take care, everybody. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. <laughs> oh.